says dirtbags in the title. We can do what we want. This is the Enlightened Dirtbags Podcast. My name is Jonah Condro. And I'm version two. In the first season of our podcast, we'll be discussing seven books about motorcycles. We're glad you're here. Let's turn some pages. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Enlightened Dirtbags podcast, and we are the Enlightened Dirtbags. Uh, we're kind of going to review some some books that we've read each episode and uh, discuss kind of our own opinions of it in possibly less of a scholarly way than you might be used to. Well, from me anyways, Jonah is a bit of a scholar himself. I'm uh, just a regular guy, oil field guy, motorcycle guy, given my bit of a cretin opinion on the on the books we read and the information we consume. The way we're going to go about this is we're going to uh, sort of release the podcast in seasons. And so this episode is sort of the preface to use sort of like some book terms to the season that we're going to release. And like like uh, version two said, the plan is each episode, depending on, well, I guess we're going to kind of figure it out as we go, but probably right now, uh, each episode, we're going to read the book and then talk about the book. And I think the theme for season one is motorcycles. Which is fitting, as uh, us both, both being motorcycle enthusiasts. It's not going to be, you know, motorcycle mechanics and uh, motorcycle mecha- maintenance. Probably dip a little bit more into, you know, what it means to travel via motorcycle and, and touch on the spirit of adventure and whatnot, um, ranging through many years of different uh, historical motorcycle adventures. So... I'm sure we'll run off on a few different tangents. It'd be interesting to see where we go. Yeah, so I think later in this episode, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to give you the list. We're going to tell you what we've got planned, what's on our reading list, and then we're we're not going to get too far into uh, what each book is about because I've, I've only read some of them. So some of these books on the le- on our reading list, I'm going to read over again, obviously, to you know be well-informed for, for our podcast. This is just sort of like, we're just like kind of like cracking, cracking open this podcast, this first episode here. Yeah, and I think it's always good to keep a, a fresh mind, you know, even if it's something you read a long time ago, you kind of lose your opinion or the feel of it in a way. So most of them, we're, I think we're going to try to keep to books that we that are new to us, but a few of them we will have read, so we might have a little bit of a deeper opinion. And we're going to try to make sure that each one has kind of a new feel, and motorcycles might feel like a bit of a narrow topic, but I think we've got a pretty good variety here that uh, is going to really expand on the topic quite a bit. I think what we should do before we introduce the reading list is I think we should really introduce ourselves and sort of what we're bringing to this topic. And I think that's really going to help sell the Enlightened Dirtbags podcast and why this is going to be different than just, you know, some weirdo academics talking about weirdo books. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, We had discussed this uh, in depth quite a bit before we really got to this point. And there's quite a few podcasts out there about books that, again, just feel very, very scholarly. And I know a lot of people, you know, since I've become a much bigger reader myself, my new drunk habit is to give out books to people. When I see them, I'm like, take this home, read it, 
tell me what you think. And it doesn't happen very often. And I think that's because a lot of people feel a disconnect, right? Uh, the typical way we view, well, quote unquote, book nerds is there's there's kind of just this, we see them as different people from, you know, dirt bike guys or oil field guys or just the typical, you know, everyone has their own little category they tend to fit into and not a lot of people identify with book nerd. And when you listen to a lot of podcasts out there about books, they really feel that way. You know, you feel like someone's teaching you something or whatever. And I think this podcast is going to be a good opportunity for us to bridge that gap and reach out to people that don't necessarily identify as that type of book reader. I like what you're saying there because I don't think that there's a wrong way to read a book. You know, like I've been a motorcycle guy for a large portion of my life. Uh, I've sort of walked away from motorcycles and we can definitely get into that. Uh, in some later episodes or even later into this episode, uh, but definitely been a motorcycle guy for the better part of my life, been a mechanic for the better part of my life. You know, I came up through the trades, automotive, but then I took a turn and I went to university and my degree is in English studies, right? So part of the problem is like uh, our experiences, our unique experiences, uh, especially with what we've done, what we've uh, done for careers, what we've done in our pastimes, sort of the journeys we've been but on the adventures that we've been on, whether it's been on a motorcycle or not on a motorcycle, you know, I can't separate uh, my university experience from my the totality of my experiences. So that's going to seep in. But I'm not going to sit here and, you know, flip open like literary theory, you know, books to sort of like interpret these, interpret these uh, books that we'll be reading on this podcast because that's not my intent. I think part of my intent in doing this podcast is like, we're just going to use the experience and the knowledge we already have, and we're going to see what we can get out of these books, and we're going to see see what we find, I guess. It'll be nice to dabble with that knowledge you have a little bit, um, just in, in ways that you understand, as a writer yourself even, the way that the author might be feeling, or the way the techniques they use to express you know, the thoughts going on that I might not be able to connect with. You know, The great thing about picking motorcycles for our first season is that it's all about adventure largely, right? And that's something that everybody can relate to. It doesn't even necessarily have to be on a motorcycle. There's a lot of people that adventure in any different way, you know, backpacking, camper vans, whatever it is, that knowledge that you have will be helpful to be able to tap into, you know, how this, how this particular author in each book might have the techniques they use to express the way they feel on their adventures on their motorcycle, um, even if it's not motorcycle related. Um, so for myself, uh, I have very little schooling on the topic, uh, a long time oil field worker, pretty much went to the oil field, right? When I was 18, did not do a lot of reading in the early years of that. As I've progressed into, um, the plant life, I have a lot more free time and working away, living in camp all the time. It gets tough. You got a lot of free time, but there's not a lot of things to do. You know, you're not in the city. You can't go visit a friend or go to a pub or whatever. So reading for me has become a way to fill that gap. And to explore a little, I think the best thing about books is that you can take yourself out of your current circumstances and go anywhere. You know, books are kind of like a time capsule in a way. You can go, you know, back to the 1800s. And and if you have a good author, you can really connect with that character and almost feel what it's like to live in those times or to experience what they experience. So for me, reading has become a way to live an adventurous life, even when I'm stuck, you know, working at a plant or just hanging out in a camp room. 
I think you have a very unique work-life experience because when you're at work, you're at work, right? Absolutely. Uh, you also need to live in a camp. Right now, for me, like uh, I'll be working like shift work, right? But I still get to come home every night, right? So that's I think too. I can I can hear my dog trying to sneak in. Um, I think too, like that'll also inform our interpretations of the of the books as well. But yeah, that's the interesting thing about uh, living in camp. As I've always I've always tried to explain camp life to people that haven't experienced it as you know, like being the same main character, the the same actor in two different TV shows. You know, when you're home, you eat a certain type of foods, you know, the smells, the sounds, the people you're around, they're all one thing. And then you go to camp and all of that is entirely different. So there's this huge disconnect from from your life at home when you're up in camp. And uh, the neat thing about reading is that you can really add the experience of the characters into your life. You can, you can almost, and it's, it's almost even better with that clean slate. You know, you've cleared the palette of your life at home and you're not taking your home life experiences into the book. Camp is so bland that it almost makes it easier to really dive into the story because you've got nothing else, you know, throwing off the senses. You know, you're just fresh palate and just fully experiencing everything that's going on. You don't have any distractions. I know at home, I have a really hard time really diving into a book because there's always something on the go. Somebody's swinging by or, you know, you've got things happening around you. Your buddies want to hang out. Whereas in camp, you're just there, you know, you're at work all the time, whether you're at site or in your camp room, you're still at work and that's it. So you're free of all of your distractions and you get this opportunity to just really dive in to what's happening in that book. I like kind of where you're going with that. It's just sort of like how a person reads. And I think uh, a lot of that gets overlooked because I've definitely heard of people like, you know, I've heard people say like, oh, that's the book that I read while I was on vacation. You know, they buy a book to take with them when they go away for two weeks or a month or whatever it is. And like, oh, that's the book I read on vacation, right? You know, they they tie it to a point or a portion of their life where they could, you know, just have time to read a book, right? And so I think too, like, sort of like how you read and like when you schedule time to read, I think is kind of interesting. For me, I'm probably just going to read these books when I'm on days off. I'll have a week off. Some of these books, they have several hundred pages to them. So I'll have my work cut out for me, right? Well, it's interesting the point you make about people say that's the book I read on vacation because a book, even though it's always the same book, no matter when or where you read it, the location, what's happening in your life, or even what time in your life you read that book can change the experience. I know, for example, Robert Persick's Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I read it a long time ago. Yeah. And that's one of the books on our reading list, right? Absolutely. I read it a long time ago and couldn't quite relate to it. Couldn't quite grasp what's going on. It's the same book. No matter how many times I read it, it's always the same. The information I'm reading isn't changing, but then reading it later on in life, a little bit more life experience, you know, I was able to connect a little bit more. So it's, in, it's interesting to think about where a person is in life, what they've been through or what's happening around them at the time and how that changes the way they consume that information. Those are going to be some big factors when we're going through these again. So maybe do you want to like, uh, actually go through a reading list from top to bottom? We'll sort of introduce what we want to read and then we can sort of talk about the ones that we've already read and some things that we kind of plan on I guess maybe not so much expectations, but just things that we want to kind of get out of out of this uh, podcast experiment. Absolutely. Okay. That's a great idea. I wrote them down like a nerd. That's a good plan. As soon as you said, do you want to go through the reading list? I was like, I left all the books in the other room. 
The first one on our list is one by Richard Hammond, and it's called A Short History of the Motorcycle. Yeah, I think this is a good place to start. Um, For those of you that are familiar with the automotive world, Richard Hammond's going to be a recognizable name for sure. Some of these books we're really going to dive in and probably get pretty philosophical, but it's probably not best to do that right off the bat. You know, this book is kind of going to be, you know, establish the topic and uh, really get into what makes the passion of a motorcycle, you know, but Richard Hammond is generally a pretty lighthearted and cheery guy. So it'll let us have some fun right off of the bat and you can kind of get to know us and our personalities and whatnot without, uh, you know, without diving into the deep end right away. I've only opened this book. Uh, we've got the, co- we're only waiting on a couple more copies to arrive, but this one, I flipped it open. There's going to be a lot of photographs. So I think that's uh, photographs when, especially in alongside text, that's a very different sort of reading experience, right? And then if you, if you swing that all the way to like sort of the radical end when you're graphic novel territory, where it's like the images are telling the story more so than the text, right? So I think this is kind of going to kind of be difficult because we're, we're speaking of these books when we're reviewing them on this podcast. And so I think it's going to be tricky because now we also have pictures alongside the text, right? So yeah, not very handy on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hard to consume pictures via audio. This is like the only sneak peek that I got into this book is like there was, I don't know if it was a chapter or a section, but it was just the page that I opened up to and it was just camaraderie, right? Like the motorcycle camaraderie. So I don't know. That's about as much insight that I have into this book, right? So Well, and that's one of the biggest things about the motorcycle world, right? That's what everyone loves, the motorcycle wave. You know, I've been on the bike before, going out camping, taking the the adventure bike with me and having friends driving behind us as we're all out to the, on our way to the campsite and they see us waving, you know, to every other motorcycle that goes by and we get to the campsite and they're like, it's always so cool to see you waving to other motorcyclists. Like you don't see it very often. You'll see it with certain groups. Uh, of car enthusiasts, right? They'll wave to like whoever has the same car, um, but it's very specific. Whereas motorcycles, you know, you're on a long trip, you're going to wave a bunch of times, like sometimes a hundred times through the day, right? But there's just this really cool understanding of this shared passion. I don't know that person at all. I might not like them at all if I met them in person. We might have entirely different ideas, but in that passing moment, we are both motorcycle enthusiasts. And we're both out enjoying that passion, right? So the camaraderie of the motorcycle world is is great. And it's uh, this book's really going to give people a chance to understand our passion for it and why we picked this topic and and why this, this really resonates with us. Yeah, so the next one we got on the list is uh, one by Ernesto Che Guevara, The Motorcycle Diaries, right? And so this one, like, if you know Che Guevara, like, when we, when I grew up anyways, I guess probably when you, we're, we're pretty close to the same age, but I just remember like, you know, some teenagers that I knew, well, we were all teenagers. They had like Che Guevara posters, right? You know, he was the, the revolutionary that helped Castro get into power. I gotta, gotta make sure that I get my history right here, but I think the CIA assassinated him. I don't know if that's a conspiracy or not, but that's okay. We put the word dirt bags in the title <laughs> so we can say whatever we want. doesn't have to be correct. No, and, and he's, a, he's a powerful character, you know. I remember I went to Cuba when I was 15 with my parents, and, uh, you know, you drive around, and there's buildings with massive uh, portraits of Che Guevara painted there. You know, he's, so it's not, you know, just motorcycle-related. Like, this is, a, this is a huge historical character. So I would imagine we're going to be able to touch on a lot of different things and kind of share our opinions, probably 
fuck up the history a little bit or a lot or whatever, but it should be, you know, a good chance to entertain and, and really dive into. Cause from what I understand, I haven't read it yet, but from what I understand, it's, it's quite an adventure. Uh, so I haven't read this book and we haven't read uh, the short history of the motorcycle either. My only really experience with the motorcycle diaries, I think there was like a film or something and I watched part of it, but I really don't remember much of, of the film or even what it was about. Like I just kind of knew that there's this dude and he rode a motorcycle and then eventually made it to Cuba or something, right? Like that's, that's where my knowledge of this book sort of starts and ends. And uh, we're, we're going to try to encourage uh, listener feedback here as well, because book enthusiasts tend to reread quite a bit. So there's a good chance we're going to come across a book that some of the listeners might have read a few times. And it's going to be interesting for us to be able to share our first opinion of it on the ones that we haven't read yet and kind of ha- have this fresh viewpoint. But we'd also like people to be able to chime in and say like, hey, I see where you're going with that, but I've read this a bunch of times and this is actually the way I took it. Because I think that's another great thing about books, just like motorcycles, is is it's this shared passion, you know, like Joan and myself are both unique characters, lots of tattoos, kind of very outgoing people. So if you, for example, meet someone at a party, if we were to meet someone at a party and you go up to talk to them, if they're just kind of like a quiet book nerd type character, it might seem kind of strange at first to just go up and start talking. But the shared passion of books is such a great icebreaker and people can really communicate different ideas once you understand that you're both, you know, very passionate about reading. So this is going to be a great opportunity for people to chime in and, and, and give their opinion and maybe teach us a thing or two or, or share a different viewpoint. Like we said, you know, your life experience and wh- what you were doing at the time of reading a book might allow you to see it in a different way. The next one we got on our list is by uh, Robert Edison Jr. called One Man Caravan. I'll admit this one was mostly like I saw the title. I'm like, oh, we should read that. Yeah. One Man Cavern sounds badass. The really interesting thing about this particular, we only have one copy right now. Uh, the other copy is on order, uh, but it's out of print. And so it was kind of difficult to get. This is something that sort of gets talked about with books a little bit is like how much they cost. Like this is probably a little bit more than you would expect to buy like a paperback book because these copies that we have are actually used. And then some of these copies are actually being sold on eBay for like a hundred bucks really, for one book, right? So this is interesting just because this book is out of print and maybe it sucks and maybe that's why it's out of, like, maybe we just got a dud, like we don't know, right? So I think that's going to be sort of interesting, sort of like seeing what this book has to offer and why it's like worth a hundred bucks on eBay, right? Well, maybe it's also sharing some controversial views. You know, there's a lot of books that have been uh, banned for print in different countries because people kind of canceled them in a way or maybe the author shared a viewpoint that people don't agree with so we'll see it could be terrible if so we apologize but we'll try to make it entertaining i I will say this though like we did not spend a 100 bucks on this book like i i did some some hunting and i made sure that they were as economical as possible but you know so i feel bad if you like if you guys are listening to the episode when we do one man caravan you're like hey i want to read that book and it's like 100 bucks on ebay i apologize here's a fresh idea Maybe there's an opportunity for a book exchange here. You know, we've discussed the idea of at the end of the season to try to stoke the flame of of listener participation, have people kind of chime in and say, hey, this is would be a good, you know, topic or genre for the next season. Or these are some books that I really liked. Maybe there's an opportunity for people to say, I have a really good idea for 
a book for your next season. I have it, but I do not have one from the last season that you read. That's a beautiful part of, of reading books is every time I go down to Calgary, I see those little miniature libraries all over the place. Do you have those in Edmonton? Oh, yeah. They're all over the place oh, here, too. I think that's so cool because you never see them like emptied and left open or whatever. It's It's funny that that's something people never steal. Like anything else you left out there, somebody's probably going to steal it. But you put these little birdhouses up with books and they just always get left alone and you can kind of go exchange and it's just all for the love of reading. So maybe we can incorporate that a bit. If you've got a book that you think would work really well for our next season and you don't have a copy of something we read, maybe we can trade. I like it. Um, This one, I admit when we were sort of like piecing together this reading list, I didn't really consider like maybe expanding past like male sort of like experiences right because i think this is the only female author that we have on a real uh, on a reading list lizpeth beard uh and the book we're going to be reading by her is lone rider the first british woman to motorcycle around the world well but that's the thing though is like if you think about the stigma around motorcycles is generally media has portrayed it as a very masculine thing you know like you look at most movies and it's it's kind of like hot rods. You know, you get the badass on the motorcycle and the slick back hair or whatever it is, you know, or biker gangs or even motorcycle racing. It's largely, you know, a testosterone fueled masculine thing. And I think that's what makes this book so exciting is that not only is it just sound like a great book, but it's 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 kind of out of the norm, you know, women in the motorcycle world and then also women solo traveling the world. And I believe this was back in the early 80s that she took this motorcycle trip. Right. So that's even culturally for her would be entirely different. You know, you talk about women traveling the world on their own is one thing, but then at that time would be entirely different. And I think it'll it'll allow us because when you when you're talking about motorcycles, largely you're talking about adventure because that's a big part of the spirit of motorcycles, solo adventure. You know, you're not with other people doing a road trip where you're listening to music and chatting or whatever. You're by yourself. It's a very meditative and isolated experience. You're going to get a lot of books about just people that travel the world. This is a great opportunity for us to expand that a little bit and not just be somebody rode around the world on a motorcycle. Okay, how many times can you do that? This is a great opportunity for us to dive into what it would be like for a woman by herself traveling the world to all the different cultures and then doing it by herself like being on a motorcycle around the world forces you to really communicate with the people all of these stories have instances of breakdowns and having to exchange goods or deal with local vendors and whatnot and so you can't really isolate yourself you know she's gonna have to really immerse herself in the culture and deal with the local people and so even if you're in an area where the culture doesn't exactly look kindly on a solo female traveling the world. You can't just bypass it. You have to immerse yourself and you have to become part of that to be able to cross borders and get parts and make repairs and ship your motorcycle. You know, it's going to be before the days of being able to just buy a ticket online and ship your bike or whatever. You've got to in person make this exchange. So I'm really excited to see the cultural differences and what she ran into along the way. I think that was like the last one that we put on the list. I think that's I think that's going to be an important book as we get through this season. And again, the title is pretty sweet. Yeah, Lone for Rider sure. for sure. Uh, the next one we got is uh, Dreaming of Jupiter. This one's by Ted Simon. Uh, so this one, I've never read any of Ted Simon's book. He's got he's got a few, um, but this one is actually 
he's retracing his steps. Maybe you can sort of like speak to how the, because there's, there's a couple of books here and we're reading the second one where he kind of retraces his steps. Yeah. So I've read uh, Jupiter's Travels, which uh, was a four year adventure around the world uh, on a triumph, if I remember correctly. And it's a great book. It's a great book. He, he kind of talks about the culture, but also largely it's, it's a, it's a very personal experience, that book, how he changes along the way. Um, very introspective. And he doesn't have a lot of experience with it, right? It's a big undertaking. You know, not a lot of people are prepared for that. There's always things you run into along the way that challenge you personally. Um, he even in the first one, he ends up in prison for like two weeks. I don't remember where, but for like a, quite a while, he ends up in prison because he's a journalist and he's traveling, traveling through these countries where that creates complications. And uh, it's a real clash of cultures, right? Like freedom of speech isn't, isn't as open as, as we're, you know, lucky enough to experience here. So from what I understand, the second book is quite a few years later, he does the same trip. Uh, with more experience and being able to reflect on his last one. And he talks a bit about the motorcycle adventure itself, but largely he talks about the change in the world, you know, uh, culturally and industrially, industrially and all that. So uh, it'll be, again, it's, you know, with two books about someone traveling around the world, but I think we're going to have some good diversity here and they're going to touch on different topics. I had this memory I, when I was looking at the the book covers for Jupiter's Travels and Dreaming of Jupiter, we'll be reading Jupiter, Dreaming of Jupiter uh, in this podcast season. But I there was something that sort of triggered a memory, and I th- believe that I, I didn't see the motorcycle that he rode, but I believe I saw a photo of it in a museum in Nevada, of all places. And f- so there was something, I believe it was in the word Jupiter that this connection was made and so that's sort of why I uh, I wanted to get this one on the list. And so I just think, ideally, like it would it would have made sense for us to read Jupiter's Travels because that was the one that he did first and wrote first, right? But I think, um, like you just said, because he's sort of reflecting and is uh, essentially going to like point out all these changes, right? I think though there's going to be sort of a different take as opposed to someone like even like the Elizabeth Beard, right, where it's just like her her for a sort of interpretation of the right. So this it's sort of like a, a retracing your past. So I think there's going to be something new to offer in that reading, right? Absolutely. And uh, like we said, if people are coming here for for books specifically, we don't want to make the whole season ab- about motorcycles entirely because it's, it really limits how much people can relate to it. So doing the second one is nice because not only does it talk a lot about motorcycle adventures, but also it's a, it's a worldview and the way cultures change. I think we're really going to be able to bounce that around. But I want to ask you a question quickly while we're on the topic of book covers. Please do. How much does that affect your opinion of a book? The quality or the, the way the book is represented on the cover? Because I know there's a lot of books that have different covers. For example, I just lent you um, Herman Hesse's Steppenwolf. Great book if anybody wants to read it. It's a little bit mind-bending, but it's it's pretty cool. But that cover that's on that one, I bought that one specifically, which took me quite a while to find because I have this weird thing about used books. I really like the feel and smell of used books. So instead of just going online and buying a fresh one, I hunted around for that book used with that cover because the art on it, I find, really draws me in. 
So how much does the cover of a book really change your experience with it? Just in like my own personal reading, there's, uh, uh, I'm sure you've heard of like the Chronicles of Narnia. It's sort of like Absolutely. a, like a preteen teen sort of young adult reading level, right? I think there's nine books or something like that. Pretty, I don't want to say it's straightforward, but I think it's like, uh, pretty accessible, I guess, right? For, for any reader. But there was like a set that I had when I was younger and that I, I have no idea where that set ended up. When I was actually looking for used books at a Valley Village of all places, I saw part of that series with the same book cover that I had when I was a kid. So that for me, there was like a bit of nostalgia there. And I, I'm not a big nostalgia guy, but so now anytime that I'm looking for used books, I'm looking to complete that set with that, with that, with those particular covers and, and the editions, right? Cause I found like those, those books are all over the place, right? They've been in print for many, many decades. Right. And so I found the other copies so I could complete that set. They would, of course, the, the covers would not match. So I think for me, like that sort of part is like, if you're kind of nerdy about the way that you want your bookshelf to look like maybe that's you, you could take that into consideration, right? Oh, I can definitely relate to that kind of pride of ownership of your books. It's funny to see the way when you have people over the people that read books and the people that don't tend to read books, the way they react around your bookshelf. I was like when I'm talking to someone and then they kind of look over and I see them like scanning my bookshelf and I'm like anticipating them to say something like, are they going to mention the fact that all 21 versions of my Patrick O'Brien books, the, you know, starting with master and commander, the, uh, Aubrey mature series, all 21 books are from the same publishing company. So they all have the same general theme on the cover, right? You can get different ones. Some of them are like the whole book is purple, but the ones that I have are, like a cream color with a strip like a colored band along the side that represents each different book and i very specifically went shopping to get all of them even though i listened to a bunch on audiobook because i couldn't find them at the time and i wanted to continue the series i made sure i went out and got the ones from the same uh, printing company i guess it would be so it's like oh are they going to comment on the fact that i have all of these from this printing company or are they going to see something that they recommend by the by the cover they're gonna go oh I, I recognize that book not just by the title but because the cover stands out you know one of my favorite books that I've read is by Stephen Hall I believe his name was it's called the raw shark texts I was coming off of a bit of a Chuck Palahniuk spree eight books in a row those of you that have read Chuck <laughs> Palahniuk you know that it kind of transports you to a weird place his writing is very different. He really challenges a lot of a lot of the things that we understand about reading and really pushes you to a to a new place. So I had to transfer out of that. So I was at the used bookstore and I was, it's always a problem. I definitely have a spending problem at used bookstores. And uh, so I had probably 12 books with me already and I was on my way out and I see this cover. Actually, not even the cover, the spine. I was walking by and it just jumped out to me. It's like red and black and white and it's just you know, amongst a bunch of other really bland books, it just kind of popped. And I looked at it, I pulled the cover out and it has this kind of like sketch of like a, you know, this black and white sketch of like a shark coming out of a page kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, this looks really neat. I'm going to get it. So I got it. I posted it on my Instagram amongst a bunch of other books when I got home and a bunch of my buddies were like, that's one of my favorite books ever. And I was like, oh, I found this book at random you know, just because I thought the cover was neat and turns out to be, it's an amazing book. You know, it's the perfect way for me to transition out of the 
kind of disgusting and weird world of Chuck Palahniuk and back into the world of regular reading. You know, it was this it was exactly what I needed at the time, but I didn't even go look for it. I just saw the cover and was like, that's wild. I'm going to read that. You know, I don't mean to sour sort of like the conversation, but like sometimes it's marketing, right? It's sort of a good segue into the next one on our reading list is Hell's Angels, A Strange and Terrible Saga by Hunter S. Thompson. Now, just leaving aside that this is like a very famous author and journalist, Hunter S. Thompson, the book cover itself, uh, the copies that we have, it just like on the cover, it's like in a yellow lettering on like a black background. It says Hell's Angels. So this one, the cover, it grabs your eyes. Is it part of a marketing technique? Probably, but it's definitely something that it just puts it right in front of your face, right? So that's the the next one on our reading list is uh, Hell's Angels by Andres Thompson. Which is interesting though, because normally in the motorcycle world, I, I kind of tire of the whole Hell's Angels thing, you know, like there's this stigma around, you know, motorcycle gangs and then, you know, the Hell's Angels are kind of the the poster child of the motorcycle gang world. And there's a lot of media out there about them that it's just boring. You know, it's the same. It's so repetitive. It's weird to me that that would be the focus because Hunter S. Thompson himself is such a draw, you know, for readers. I guess maybe they're not marketing to people that would know who Hunter S. Thompson is. Maybe they're marketing to just people that want to hear about the Hells Angels. But to me, I feel like there's something else that could draw towards Hunter S. Thompson himself that would grab my attention a lot more than just capital letters, Hell's Angels, because there's a ton of books about like undercover agents in the Hell's Angels. There's, uh, you know, Unrepentant, which I don't remember his name, but there was a fellow that did a biography about he was a member of Satan's Choice motorcycle gang in Canada in like the early 60s and then went to prison. And when he came out of jail, they had patched over to Hell's Angels and his life within the Hell's Angels until he got out. There's just so many books about the Hell's Angels that now it's kind of a topic that I I just don't, it doesn't grab me, you know? So I would imagine it wasn't Hunter's idea to do the cover that way because he's kind of a wild guy. I figured he would have done it kind of different, but I don't know, to me, the cover like that just doesn't do it for me. I think this book is definitely... uh... Uh, a reprint. It, it's definitely not a first edition, right? So I, oh, we'll get into this when we do the actual episode on Hell's Angels by Hunter S. Thompson. But I, I want to say this is like late 60s, early 70s that this book was first released. And so this would have been way before, like he was really sort of like splitting this open, right? And I think that's, I think this is like really the first book that really sort of launched him into uh, a career as an author, right? He was already pretty well as uh, as a journalist but i think this book like really sort of skyrocketed his career but i will say this this is this is a book that i've already that i've read uh but it's probably been like almost 10 years ago uh that's probably how long ago that i read this book so i'm gonna the, uh, my eyes are gonna be pretty fresh on this uh what i sort of re- recall from the book and sort of like my takeaway from the book uh there's there's not gonna be a lot that's gonna sort of uh reinform this my reading of it, I guess you could say, right? So it's I'm going to have as fresh eyes on it as probably uh, any other of the books that uh, are on this list that I've already read. So The thing I'm really excited about for this is that, like I had said, generally the topic of the Hells Angels doesn't grab my attention. This book, specifically the fact that it's by Hunter S. Thompson. I mean, Hunter S. Thompson could write a book about broccoli and I'm in. You know, <laughs> like, tell me about broccoli, Hunter, you know? 
it's a topic that I've read about quite a bit from a ton of different authors and a ton of different viewpoints and just newspaper articles and whatever. But I've always found that anything Hunter writes about has a unique take just because of his wild character. I'm, re- I'm really excited to read this because I haven't read it. It's one of the few books by Hunter that I haven't dove into yet. So it'll be it'll be fresh for me and it'll be interesting to see if you having read it before and me just reading it for the first time is going to change our opinions of it at all. Yeah, this is one that I'm excited to read again. Like I've had the same copy uh, for years now. I'm amped to read this one. I'm 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 excited for this whole project and this uh, this undertaking that we're doing. But I think this one, it's it's a good fit, and I think it's an important book on motorcycles. And when you consider like canon of like sort of motorcycle uh, literature, I guess, and books on motorcycles, I think this is definitely one that. It would have been a mistake for us to leave this one out. And I think I share some of your uh, same sentiments. Like I haven't read really much on the Hells Angels in particular, right? But I don't think that that's, that's not what we're trying to do here. I don't think that's sort of the angle we're trying to take. And so I'm glad that there is this book on here, but I'm also glad that that it's not like we're trying to, you know, play Sons of Anarchy on this podcast with this motorcycle reading, right? You know, so. Well, and I mean, if you're going to talk about motorcycles, it it would be, you know, it's it's almost a shame if you don't touch on motorcycle gangs, especially the Hells Angels with them having such a big presence because the history there, not just the gangs themselves, but how that came to be. The war vets coming back into the world and, you know, having that brotherhood over overseas in the war and then coming back and not having much of a brotherhood and then finding that brotherhood through motorcycles and how that developed into motorcycle gangs. There's a huge history there with motorcycles and gangs than how that developed into the culture it is today. So if you're, if you're going to do a season of books on motorcycles, you kind of have to at least touch on Hell's Angels because that's a huge part of what's shaped the motorcycle culture. Just a side note, Sonny Barger himself actually wrote a really good book about motorcycles and the Hell's Angels and how he got into it and kind of where, where that transitioned from just a passion for motorcycles into gang culture because for a long time motorcycles were kind of a crazy thing to do you know motorcycles haven't always been reliable as they are now so trying to do any sort of long distance travel on a motorcycle was a little bit ridiculous and it the people that were doing it were few and far between so when you could find that brotherhood at the time you really stuck together so it's just another book that'd be worth checking out for people that's not exactly all about the hell's angels but more about how the passion for motorcycles became motorcycle gangs i think hunter s thompson takes us up in hell's angels i I believe it's that book and so if it's not in that book uh i don't know where this came from but i think he was saying like back in the day there was only two kinds of guys and it was mostly just males right there's two kinds of guys that rode motorcycles you're either a cop or you're an outlaw right and that was it well and maybe we'll have to do at the end of the season we'll have to do a b-sides of sort game on these are the books that were close or uh, the books that we would recommend based on what we did read. Because otherwise, especially, you know, with us both being readers and motorcycle enthusiasts, if we had, you know, 20 seasons, I'm sure we could fill this with books. Oh, hands down, yeah. So the next one on the list, uh, and this is sort of the, for me, this is sort of like, uh, this is like the title fight, right? Like the, this is like the, the, the main event. The boss level. Yeah, exactly. And that's Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Persig. I'm really excited about this one. It's a really unique book. And Robert Persig himself, even in the beginning, he says, you know, this book isn't very much about 
Zen and it has almost nothing to do with motorcycle maintenance. So it's, he's a, he's a genius guy, but he's also kind of crazy. And so it, it touches on a bunch of different topics and I've heard a lot of different opinions on this. I love this book, but for example, my brother has said that it's one of the worst books he's ever read. We've had discussions about that. And I think he's kind of come around to my viewpoint just because I've read it a couple of different times and had some time to really, you know, develop my opinion and understanding of it. And I believe we talked about doing like a bit of a double feature with this, with Mark Richardson's Zen and Now, which really helps people understand. So, you know, whether we do the double feature, or add that as a B side, it's just one of those things. It's kind of like a new filter to view the book. This one's wild. You know, it's, it's a love it or hate it kind of book. And I personally love it. So I'm really excited to dig in and share my thoughts and hopefully help people understand it a little more because I've, I have like three copies of this book because I always want to have one but I always lend it out, which I probably shouldn't because most of the time I lend it out to people that don't read much. And I'm like, read this book, but it's such a, you know, it can be pretty heavy. It can almost seem dry if you don't really understand the context. So I like lend it out to people and they're probably like, I'm never reading another fucking book again. <laughs> so I'm excited <laughs> to kind of voice my opinion on it and hopefully help people, you know, gain some passion for it and understand it a little better. I have a weird relationship with Zen and the Art by Robert Persick. So the first time that I read this book, it was I was sort of reluctant. My father had talked about the book. Uh, I believe, I don't know that he had read it in full, but I, I believe that he had a copy and he didn't know where that copy went. And it was it sort of bummed him out that he lost the copy. He did end up reading the book front to back. But so that was sort of the first person that I was sort of exposed me to this book. But my father wasn't the one that actually lent me the book. It was actually a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jesse Hay, he actually had a copy of that book and he tried reading it and he quit reading it, right? And I think for a lot of the reasons like you sort of pointed out, right? It can be heavy, it can be dense, right? It can be very dry. But he said like, I think that this is a book that you'll enjoy. And so then he he's like, here, here, read it. And I read it. My first reading, and we're really going to unpack this book, uh, but I'll just uh, sort of say this, like my first reading, I was so amped on this book, right? And I think too, like it exposed me to, to, to a lot of, sort of new content that I wouldn't have necessarily been exposed to at that point. Uh, I was probably in my early 20s, mid 20s. And it, mostly the thing that really sort of uh, uh, woke up my mind, so to speak, is like when person gets into metaphysics, right? Because metaphysics right. is like a branch of philosophy that's almost impossible. It just has no description. Yeah. <laughs> what is metaphysics? Well, it's metaphysics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've got some... Uh, experience with metaphysics but we can we can wait for the episode until we bust into that so i have read this book a second time now the second time that i read this book it was in the early stages of my university career and i was reading the book so i could write a paper on it not for school but for a contest uh, for a website outside of school right so i powered through this book while i was like reading other books for university and i definitely even from the first reading to the second reading it was like two very similar, but two very different experiences because I was trying to get something else. I wasn't sure what I was trying to get out of it the second time, uh, but I don't think that I did a very adequate job of like writing this paper for like this essay contest, right? And then after that, I didn't like the book anymore, which was really unfortunate because I don't really know what happened uh, in my opinion of Robert Persig and Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And this is, of course, coming off the heels of also reading Zen and Now by uh, Mark Richardson. And we'll talk a little bit about that book after this. 
when you mentioned that you wanted to read uh, Zen and the Art again, I wasn't necessarily bummed out, but I, I'm definitely aware that there's like, this is this is like a, a big task to read this book, right? And so over the over the uh, last few weeks and leading up to the recording of sort of the preface for for our first season on the Enlightened Dirtbags, I've really warmed up to the idea of reading this book again. And so I would say that I'm also excited to read this book again because I think on the third reading, especially reading this book uh, so deep into the list of all these other motorcycle books, I think I'm going to have a good time with it. Well, and I'm sure our our discussion about it is almost going to be less about the book itself and more about the author. Like it's, it's literally like if Russell Crowe from a beautiful mind wrote a book about a motorcycle adventure, you know, like it's genius and mad at the same time and it's rambling and it's just such a unique book. And that's the thing, you know, we could do episodes on books that everybody loves over and over and over again, but I think we owe it to the listeners to do something that they, you know, that they might not like that much that, or that they might be a little bit apprehensive of something that not everybody loves, but the people that love it absolutely love it. You know, that's kind of the great part about the passion of reading is that everyone has their own thing. And sometimes it takes a fresh viewpoint to really understand it and give you that new filter and read it again. And I think that's something we're going to be able to do with this book. And I know from my multiple readings of it, my view of it changed. So maybe even reading it again for a third time now is, is going to change my opinion of again. Maybe by the time we do it, I'm going to be like, yeah, that book's actually awful. I, <laughs> I doubt it. I really like this book, but I'm excited to dive in. You know, this, it gives us an opportunity to talk about, like you said, metaphysics and philosophy. And there's a lot about mental health in here, which is, you know, that's a huge topic you can discuss And this book really dives into it. So I think it's, I think it's going to be a good one. And uh, I think we're probably going to have to trim a lot of time off because we'll probably ramble for a long time. It's a lot of topics. I think we're a, a, a large part of this podcast is we'll be figuring out stuff as we go. Definitely is going to be seasons and we're probably going to do episode per, per book. But I mean, yeah, like if we need to record a part two so we can really get through a book, then that's just what we'll have to do. Sort of uh, coming off the uh, Zen and the Art I don't know how this is going to sort of unfold, and I guess we can sort of make those decisions later on in the season. Um, but we plan on reading Zen and Now on the trail of Robert Persig and the Autumn Motorcycle Maintenance. And this one's by uh, Canadian author Mark Richardson. And this one, I believe Mark Richardson reads Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance as he goes on a motorcycle trip retracing the steps of Robert Persig and the motorcycle trip that he went on. Yes, it's the same trip, and then he kind of reflects... It's cool because I really felt like this book was kind of like uh, deciphering a secret code. You know, when you Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is the original message and there's something there, but it kind of feels like you don't quite get it. And then Zen and Now really gives you the, uh, I wish I could remember the term for it. But anyways, the the code to really decipher the message within the message. And after reading Zen and Now, I went back and read Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and it entirely changed my understanding. So he does the trip, the same trip that Robert Persick did with his son, the exact same path on a more advanced motorcycle, of course, which so on the topic of motorcycles, we can discuss, you know, the complications of doing a trip on the bike that uh, I think it was a CB77 Honda that he did it on originally, Robert Persick, which is quite an undertaking on its own you know, going through the Beartooth Pass on a bike like that. But he does the same trip on a more advanced bike and then touches on Robert Persig, the author, and then Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, the book, along the way, stage by stage. So it's really a walkthrough 
for the original book. And it really opens up your understanding as you go learning the author, the stages of the book and how they all relate. I almost feel like you have to read them both. Otherwise you just don't really get what you need to out of the first book. They definitely complement one and one another, right? Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. And this is also one of your recommendations too. When we're putting this reading list together, like it's kind of hard to talk about Zen and the Art, not talk about Zen and Al, because I think it's definitely a very important book. Just to use your language, like to help decode uh, Robert Persig, right? Yeah, if you don't understand his history and who he is, because the story is written as if it's about a character, but the character really is him. So if you understand him, you understand the book a lot more. And I think that with a lot of people I know that have read Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance that didn't like it, it's because they didn't know Robert Persig. And that's, again, it's it goes back to kind of the neat thing about the passion for reading is that you can take something at face value, you just read a book, and to you it's just a book. You weren't invested in it enough to get the whole picture. But, you know, if you if you learn about the author, you kind of understand their history and how they write, it really gives you an opportunity to unlock a new depth to each book. That's the reading list for season one. <laughs> There's a lot of words there, man. We got, uh, we got a shit pile of reading to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, even if this just turns into a good excuse to read more books, you know, it's always, it's always good to, to have an excuse to read more and and also to kind of force you to think about it some more. I know there's lots of times I've read books on autopilot and you kind of got to go back because you like you like reading, but you're doing it the same way that you watch a TV show sometimes and you kind of zone out and you're just flipping pages. I think this is going to be a good way to go. You could read new books and go back through some of the ones I've read and take more of an analytical view of it and uh, and really kind of chew on how I feel about it and what I think about it and just dive in a little more. I think it's, I think it's really going to change the way I do my reading for myself personally. So hopefully we can share that with people. Yeah. And I think just doing a podcast about these books, I think too, that's going to change how I go about reading these books. Cause I think you're right. There's definitely times where you can read a book on autopilot, right? Sometimes you're reading a book that you're like really interested in and you save it for moments when you're mentally prepared to read. There's other times where I'm just like, I just, kind of want to get through this and you might not necessarily be on autopilot but you're definitely powering through it right i've heard that i've heard people say that i powered through that book right uh whether that's a a good approach to take to reading or not so i think because we're doing the enlightened dirtbags uh podcast uh on uh, the first season on this uh this list of books uh this is sort of my guess is we're going to pull a lot more out of this if we just decided to read these books and not podcast about them Well, I think there's a good comparison uh, to books and motorcycles there also is, you know, you could uh, read a book start to finish. And if you're not really invested in it, you don't, you don't really get anything from it. You got to the end, but it is what it is. And it's kind of similar to the passion of riding a motorcycle. You know, you could take a flight to wherever your destination is. You still got to that destination, but the journey along the way, you know, turning the pages of the adventure didn't really happen for you. And that's a big part of the passion for motorcycles is being in the experience. You know, you're not on a plane, you're not, you know, enclosed in a car, you're on the adventure and you're experiencing everything along the way, the warmth, the cold, the rain, you know, all of that, you're so much more immersed. It's a lot like reading a book in a way. I think we should just like maybe just talk about our own motorcycle experiences because I think that'll sort of give uh, some of the listeners 
uh, some better insight into what we're bringing to the table, right? And why we're so goddamn passionate about this sort of stuff. No, absolutely. And I suppose I should probably thank you here for books and motorcycles because you kind of got me into both, you know, in a lot of ways. I did a bit of reading before, but uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance was one of the first ones I really dove into and you had recommended that to me. And also with you know, me growing up, you were always the motorcycle hooligan of our group, you know, (laughs) and uh, I always wanted to ride, but my mother hates motorcycles with a passion. So it was just never an option for me when I was younger. But you know, there's you all these times of you going on crazy motorcycle trips or riding your motorcycle through the gate into the backyard and all this crazy stuff. It always just seems so exciting. And so eventually, when I had the opportunity, I went and got my own motorcycle and got into it. And it's been you know, a life changing experience for me. Like I said, uh, previously, every adventure on a motorcycle is so much more than just getting to where you're going. You know, there's the time it takes to get there and the things that happen along the way, the things you see and smell and feel and everything totally changes the adventure. I have such so much more of an appreciation for each trip I make when I'm on a motorcycle, you know, even on my way here today, you know, coming in from the cabin to Edmonton, you're driving, but you kind of kind of feels like you're watching the TV show. It's like the windshield, right? When it's like that's your screen, that's your widescreen, you know. Yeah, and you just lose out on everything. I mean, to be fair, it's always nice when it's raining or snowing or hailing or whatever, all of which I've been through on a motorcycle, which can suck in a lot of ways, but in the end, you know, you get off the bike and you're like, "Oh, that was still such an awesome adventure." Like even the parts that sucked, I experienced them thoroughly as much as I could have, you know, and I, I just feel like it, it brings a new depth to each trip you take and you're really the one that got me into that. So it'd be interesting to cover this season of uh, motorcycle books and share the two passions, you know, reading and, and bikes together. I haven't ridden a motorcycle in a few years. I'm going to have to change that. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> but I like my, my first experience on a motorcycle would be as riding a pa- as a passenger, right? My old man had Harleys back in the day, right? Dino Y-Glides and that sort of thing. But sort of the first experience I had on my own motorcycle, and I and I like the story. It was just like one of those uh, Yamaha dirt bikes. I think they called it like, I think it was like a 50cc or something. They called it like a, a Y-Zinger or something, quokely or something like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there was no, no gears. It was just all throttle. That's all you had, right? Throttle and brakes. So dad got this bike running for me and he's, kind of give me the low down like this is your brakes right and he was comparing it to like a pedal bike you know and uh the first thing i did is like full throttle i went straight into a chain link fence with that <laughs> just like yeah. somehow that sparked the passion for motorcycles yeah so after that like dad got me i think it was a kawasaki i think it was like an 80 cc uh four stroke or something like that and this one like i think it had like four speeds on it or something like that in a clutch but i i was still too small for it and i didn't quite figure it out i kind of figured it out but not really right then unfortunately like uh dad sold those bikes and i didn't actually get like my first road bike until i was like 15 or 16 years old or something like that and then like i was like the only the only guy in my high school that had a motorcycle i remember like showing up to write like one of your final tests you know to like graduate high school and i like walked in and like all my motorcycle gear and my helmet because i rode my motorcycle to school right like yeah instead of studying i was like out riding my bike in and around grand prairie where i lived at the time you were living man yeah and then like i wrote the test and you know i just like get my leather jacket and my and my motorcycle helmet i'm like okay i'm out of here right and then just like fucked off (laughs) 
It's interesting that your first motorcycle experience was on a, a Yamaha dirt bike because so was mine. Oh, interesting. Uh, much different motorcycle though. It's a WR450. So I'd been on quads and Argos and whatnot before, but had never really experienced a motorcycle. And so, you know, I was, you know, 18, just turned 18, started the oil patch, moved out of the house and suddenly, you know, live in this rebellious oil field life. And I've always wanted a motorcycle and I got the money now. So I was like, well, I'm gonna go buy a bike. Of course, went out and bought just like WR450, big trail bike, just no business on it as someone that has no experience on road bikes, let alone dirt bikes, because they're so snappy. You know, it's so easy to just buck yourself off and for sure rode it one season and just kicked the absolute shit out of myself. (laughs) Yeah, way too much bike for me. No experience on how to ride them, no understanding of like how to use front and rear brakes together. Uh, I went out riding at Wipers with a buddy of mine. He was on uh, on his race quad. And it was during the Calgary floods, actually, right around then, because that whole area was flooded out and there was no connecting trails. You know, you had kind of your staging area where you unload the bikes, ride the trails. And normally, you, if you wanted to go to the next trails, there'd be connecting trails along the way. Well, those were all flooded out in the low area. So we're just riding these gravel roads, twisty gravel roads up in the hills. One of those ones where it's kind of cut into the side of a cliff or a big hill. And it's like kind of cliff face on one side and just monstrous hill drop off on the other. And he was riding ahead of me on his quad and I can't see fucking anything, right? It's just dust kicking up. I'm going way too fast. We're probably doing, I don't know, hundred or something down this gravel road. And we come to essentially a 90 degree turn. I spot it way too late, way too late and didn't have the experience of, you know, how to use your front brake and rear brake together to slow down faster And, you know, being on mountain bikes as a kid, I knew that if you just grab a handful of front brake, you're going over the bars, you know, you're going out the front door. So (laughs) I was like, well, I don't use front brake, panicked, all rear brake, could not stop in time, just sliding, dumped the bike and just went down the hill and then woke up at the bottom and uh, looking up the hill and my buddy's standing there with his hands on his head. Like he said, he wasn't even considering like if I was alive, he's like, how am I going to get this dude's body up the hill? Cause he's like, for sure this dude's dead. <laughs> Thankfully I have phenomenal luck and was like, the bike was pretty mangled, but I had like a couple scratches and I mean, you know, possibly some head trauma from getting knocked out, going down the hill, but got up, rode the rest of the weekend and was like, Oh, that was awesome. Let's keep doing this. You know, did a similar thing. Thankfully without the crash, when I got my first road bike, went out and bought a victory 106 cubic inch. So, you know, 1700 CC, essentially their biggest touring bike they make where they just stripped everything off of it and made like a gnarly little street cruiser out of it with way too much torque, way too much power. Lots of times getting squirrely on that thing, just no experience on it. Rode it for four days without a license because one of my work buddies at the time was living in Edson. He didn't have his license and he's like, man, I've been riding for two years without a license. Go ahead. It's fine. Well, Edson, there's, you know, barely anyone there and they just do all (laughs) kinds of dirtbag shit. So I was like, oh, sweet. I'm going to do that. Rode it for like four days, got pulled over. Actually, it might not even have been four days. And again, no experience on road bikes, you know, a few times out on a dirt bike and just out on the street like a maniac. Just now that I've ridden more and I think about rider safety and whatnot, I just shake my head. But it got me here. Ended up getting pulled over and uh, tried to talk the cop into letting me just like push it into the nearest parking lot. And I'm like, oh, I'll go in there and like have lunch and wait until somebody can come pick it up and he goes oh you mean wait until i drive away so you can fucking ride this bike home and i was like yeah yeah, exactly and i ended up having to call you actually 
Uh, oh, that's right. Jesse, the one that gave you Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, drove you down there in, I believe, his Yaris. Yeah. He had like a weird little hatchback or something. Yeah. And I rode back in Jesse's Yaris in the passenger seat, super bummed, watching you ride my motorcycle home. That's right. And it, yeah, the bike was only like four days old. Yeah. I forgot about I that just until now. just got it. So I went out and got my license immediately the next day. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And that bike served me well, man. I took that all over the place, you know, trips to BC every summer out to the coast, did a little bit of camping with it, rode it all over the States, you know, Montana, went, took it on a spontaneous trip to Iowa, took me three days to get there, got my neck tattooed, rode home, didn't do anything along the way, hit the gnarliest storm of my life on the way home, rode over 1500 kilometers in like eight degrees and rain with you know completely unprepared as seems to be the theme with my uh, history of motorcycles here <laughs> just soaking wet freezing cold could barely even pull the levers but there was something about it when i got home uh you know my girlfriend at the time had to like help me take my jacket off because my arms were so cold and i could just barely move got home i rode from south dakota back to calgary in one day in a storm and just barely move and I was like, this is awful. Like this trip was brutal, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Woke up the next day and was like, man, I just want to go on a motorcycle trip. You know, it's like you get over it, you have a hot shower and you wake up and you're like, that's, that's living. You know, I was out experiencing it. It was shitty at the time, but it's a, it's a great story now. And B, I was, I was really in it. You know, I could have been in a car doing that and I wouldn't have seen anything. I wouldn't have felt anything. You're just sitting in a car listening to tunes. You know, how many times are you, you know, thinking more about the song that's on than the trip you're on when you're driving a car, whereas on a motorcycle, you're just in it. If you break down or something, there's no waiting out a storm. You can't just like sit in your car or whatever, you know, you're there. And there's times when you're down in, you know, Iowa or Montana or wherever, where you'd ride for like an hour and you don't see anything, not even houses, you know, Montana's barren, you know? So it's, it's kind of cool to be there. And there's like tumbleweed blown across the road and you're like, if I run out of gas here, I might have to look for firewood, you know? <laughs> so, and you're just in it. You're so immersed in the experience that it just makes every single road trip everywhere you go that much cooler. You're sort of touched on a little bit, like you can't exactly just like hunker down. Cause I know like a big thing, like I've been to the States several times on different motorcycles throughout the years and you're always worried about burning daylight, right? Especially Absolutely. when it comes to like near the end of the day. You know, you're like, you don't want to burn too much daylight dicking around, especially if there's like a spot that you're trying to get to, right? Or you're trying to like time it so you can get as much in, get as far as you can without sort of like roasting too much of the day. And then like, there's been lots of times where like, you're like, oh no, we'll just keep going. And then next thing you know, you've been riding in the dark for like two or three hours. And that is like a wildly different experience than just driving in a car at nighttime, right? Like in a car, man, you throw on the brights, away you go, you know? Yeah. You, like you got your bottle of Coca-Cola, your Red Bulls, whatever you need to stay awake, coffee. Your seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm telling you, between the truck and the motorcycle, like I kind of live in a cabin out in the boonies and there's lots of wildlife out there. When I'm driving at night in the truck, I'm like, you know, looking for a deer, but it's kind of like, oh, I just don't want to write my truck off. When you're riding out there in the dark on your motorcycle, you're like, this is life or death, man. <laughs> like, yeah. you could hit a fox and it might be the end of you, you know, just, I, again, it's just another one of those things where everything is so much more real. And like you said, you're trying to, you like, you want to get as much riding in as you can. You don't want to cut it short. You know, you're stopping a big city or wherever you are. You see a motel on the side of the road. It's 
5.30, you're like, I got lots of daylight left, but my next stop is like 400 kilometers away. What's happening between here and then? Getting plan and fuel stops so much more. And more importantly, you're planning what you bring with you. Like that's kind of the most important part and the most ritualistic part of, of motorcycle trips is like packing and unpacking your gear over and over again until you're a fucking Tetris master and making sure you've got everything you need, but not too many things you don't need. And still somehow you're fucking missing something every time you like didn't think you needed it. And then you're like, something happens. You're like, man, I really wish I had that. <laughs> so you try not to overpack for the next trip. But, you know, having moved into the adventure bike world now is great because on the cruiser before, you know, there's lots of times down in Montana, you're looking up these crazy gravel roads in the hills and you're like, man, I want to know what's up there, but I'm on a cruiser and I don't want to rattle some part off. And especially at the time, you know, my victory, they stopped making them. So it's like, there's not really parts for these anymore. If I run into a problem down here, I'm fucked. So on the adventure bike, now I can go wherever and I have a lot more room for luggage and I always bring my, my tenting gear. Right. So I kind of have a little bit more freedom. If I'm going through a town or passing a motel that I thought I might stay at, I'm like, I got the tent. I'll just go and go wherever I can ride off into the bush, gravel roads, highways, whatever. And if it gets darker, I just don't want to keep going. Just set up the tent camp for the night and off you go. I remember I was, uh, I was in California on, uh, my Harley Davidson sports start and I'd made this sissy bar for it right and the rebar one yeah it was at a rebar and like welded it and painted it and uh and so it gave me something to strap a gas can to because fucking that that bike held like almost no fuel yeah so like it was a necessity to pack fuel it also was really handy to strap my tent to it and my backpack and all that stuff so i'd put that sissy bar on and i'd rode around for you know, a little bit before I left on that trip. And this is the trip where I trucked my bike down to Vegas. And then I left my truck in Vegas because it was like in March, right? There was no way I was leaving Canada. Yeah, it's snowing here, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was snowing when I loaded my motorcycle. Uh, but it was, you know, beautiful in Nevada and California that. So I just, uh, I just get into the California side. And luckily enough, I stopped. I can't remember why I stopped if I just wanted to look around, like, because it was just on the side of the road. And that's when I noticed that one of the bolts that I used to hold in my sissy bar was actually starting to gouge my tire, my rear tire. So I was like, oh, fuck. And like, like, it's super early on the trip. I was like, oh, man. So like calm myself down. And I just had a good look at the tire. I'm like, this is still cosmetic. Like this isn't actually wearing into the tire where it's going to like jeopardize the integrity. Like this is okay to still ride on. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't just like telling myself that I was like, no, like. I was, you know, tapping into my, you know, mechanical experience, I guess you could say. But the problem was, is like, well, what do I do about this? Because I didn't take into account the extra weight from the fuel, the tent, and my luggage, right? Because the bolt would have been under the fender, yeah? Yeah, exactly, right? So all that extra stuff on, now whenever I hit a bump or that suspension uh, compressed enough, it would tag the tire. So, like, I ripped apart everything that I brought with me and... Luckily I had, I found two washers and that's, I was like, man, I looked at those two washers and that was enough to get the proper spacing that it would, that bolt would not contact the tire. But I looked at those two washers and I was like, man, that's like worth more than gold. Right. Yeah. Cause it's not like I was on the side of the road. You know what I mean? Like, well, and that's the thing you're on a bike, right? Like blowing a tire, isn't just getting a flat in a car, you know, you're on a highway trip and you blow a tire on a motorcycle it takes a lot to get that motorcycle to the side of the road from speed without laying it down. You know, it's, it's again, potentially life or death blowing a tire on a motorcycle at highway speed. Yeah. 
So it's not just like, oh, I'm going to be stranded. It's like, I might be in the ditch. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, on that uh, particular motorcycle, I had built a rack that hung off the left-hand side to hold my jerry can. And uh, it was just like pretty rudimentary. I just made it out of like flat bar. But uh, it was like a very convenient way to kind of like hang this jerry can. And it looked cool too, right? right? Later on the trip, like I'm literally on an old section of Route 66, and I hit a wicked bump and somehow this thing gets caught up underneath like the rear swing arm somehow. And it's like metal into the side of the, and this is the opposite side where the bolt was originally digging in. Right. Somehow got hung up and it was like going to, it was, it was basically going to go as far as it could go. Like it was going to pop the tire, but it was like super noisy and I could smell it, which is like extra bad because if you're on a motorcycle and something behind you is burning that you can smell, you know, it's fucking bad. Yeah. And like it actually, the way that I hit this bump and the way that this uh, cradle that I made from the gas can got like hung up, it actually kept the suspension compressed. That's how like hung up it got, right? Right, right. Uh, But I had tools on me and like desert, it's like 30 degrees Celsius or whatever, right? Of course it is. And I'm like looking at like this liter of water that I have going like, oh, like obviously an oversight hung over, of course, right? Yeah. Oh, naturally. But I managed to get this goddamn thing that I built off. I threw it into the desert because I was like, this is what I'm going to do because I was kind of mad. And I was like, well, it's closer for me to like go to Reno than it is to, uh, or sorry, not Reno, uh, Laughlin, Nevada, uh, just out, uh, I think south of Vegas. It was still closer for me to like keep going than it was like turn around and try to like go back to anywhere else, right? But yeah, you talk about like not bringing enough. All of a sudden that water that you had, you're like, oh, I... I should have more. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, like, especially on your bike, the more you pack, the less fuel efficiency you have. Right. So that thing had such a small tank. Like that's another thing we uh, take for granted in cars is you're like, you know, you're going to stop to piss or grab a snack before you run out of gas. So you're going to need to get gas. You just get gas when you stop. But on a bike, it's like, especially on that one, like my bike, I'll do 350 kilometers now on that bike on a tank of gas, which I got to get off and stretch before that anyways. But your sportster, like there's a serious concern. You're going to go through a town and not be able to get to the next town on your tank of gas. Yeah. I think I was like, 120 130 kilometers to a tank yeah it's not a lot there's places in alberta that are like 200 kilometers with no services yeah so i i got really good at doing like roadside math when you like see a sign even uh even in the american uh system i can't remember what it's called like just miles right Mm -hmm. just figuring that out because like that's a huge consider like fuck ran out of gas like man super inconvenient (laughs) yeah you don't want to leave the bike but you also don't want to push it you know, the jerry can is great, but also it's like, if you, I'm always, when I'm thinking about packing a jerry can, when I had the victory, I was like, it's super handy. If you need it, when you need it, you would give anything for a jerry can. But if you just plan it, you're probably not going to need it. So you're like, do I bring it? Do I not bring it? But then of course the time you don't bring it is the time you're going to blow a fuel line or something like that, or get bad gas and you got to drain the tank and top it up. Like it's so hard to be like, what am I going to need this time? Like, thankfully, I've kind of refined my toolkit down to specifically the tools I need that I could do almost anything on my bike roadside if I had to. But that's, you know, based on experience each trip, you never know what's going to go wrong, what you're going to need. And if you can even figure it out, diagnose what happened, you know, like you don't exactly have a shop. Sometimes a lot of the times you don't have a cell service, so you don't have YouTube anymore, which is something that I mean, I've thought about this a lot especially when, you know, adventuring on motorcycles became a thing 
you know, back, especially in like the early chopper days, guys, like you look at the easy rider movie and stuff like that, like where all that inspiration came from is guys on custom home built choppers riding across America, you know, at times where services are far more spaced out and the bikes are so sketchy, you know, like home built choppers, they're so uncomfortable. They're so unreliable. They're also Harley Davidson's. So, you know, you've got, you got a handful of problems you might run into and no YouTube, you know, you can't just pull out your cell phone and call a buddy, but these guys are riding across the country on these things, you know, through the desert and wherever, just in the spirit of motorcycle adventures. I think that's cool as hell, kind of like where it all built from and, and the inspiration for the, for the passion that we share now. I had this old Yamaha Virago when I was like a teenager. Uh, that was like really sort of my first motorcycle and dad and I were like riding back from someplace. I can't even remember. I think, I don't know if we were in, I think it might've been Hinton or something. I can't remember. I think we're coming through Grand Cash and my throttle cable snaps. So like, what the fuck do you do with that? Like you're, I'm driving like a bike that was made in like the early eighties. I actually happened to pack extra throttle cable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, exactly. And of course my throttle cables never snap yeah. because I have it. <laughs> but you know, it's like, we're, we're in like a Canadian tire parking lot, like trying to figure out what, like what the hell we're going to do. Right. Um, and then really all we ended up doing was uh the cable sort of frayed like uh in the actual throttle mechanism so we just completely separated it and then we just tied the frayed parts together and just bunched it up as best we could <laughs> and and dad was just like just don't fuck with it right like just yeah. don't 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 snap the throttle or anything and i ended up making it back to grand prairie on that particular trip right that's a great learning experience you know overcoming tough scenarios so you're in a spot where you're like you have to figure this out yeah, you know, there's so many things we do. Like look at your day to day life, you're like, I should probably do this today. I'm gonna do it tomorrow. Then I'll do it later, whenever. Like you break down on a bike on a road trip, especially when you're out of the country. Like if you're around here, you could probably call a buddy to come pick you up if you need. But you're out of the country, like you don't know anybody in the area. You can't just call a buddy to come get you. You know, especially if you're out of town, you can't take it to a nearby store. You got to figure it out right there. And I think there's something to be said about you know, the durability you gain of overcoming those situations and like how awesome it feels when you've broken down in some way, figured out what was wrong, fixed it, and then got home and you're like, yeah, yeah. I, I did that. I feel so much better now. I know there was another time. This is when I had the Triumph Bonneville 2007 and uh, dad and I were riding from someplace. His motorcycle had a larger tank. He was had uh, at the time uh, Bonneville America. So it had a great big fat tank on right. it. And I hit reserves and we were bucking a lot of wind and I think we were trying to get to like Fort McLeod or something in Southern Alberta. So I ride, so I'm like, yeah, man, like I just hit reserves. He's like, oh, like, well, Fort McLeod's like just, we were, we were super like under like 10 kilometers away or I don't know if it's Fort McLeod, but for the purpose of the story, it'll just be Fort McLeod. So I hit <laughs> reserves, but the thing is like, we were bucking a lot of wind and if there was no wind, I would have been able to make it on reserve field. No problem. Right. Right. But just like that extra resistance, right? You use more throttle, more more fuel. I ended up running out of fuel in my Triumph, right? And it was like all of a sudden it's like, well, what the fuck do we do? And so then what we ended up doing is dad had like half a bottle of Gatorade that he chugged back. And then we just like took off a fuel line off his bike. And I just essentially took like or half a Gatorade bottle of fuel out of his tank, poured it into mine. It's like, well, let's hope that this is, let's (laughs) hope we don't both run out of fuel now, right? So... A bottle of Gatorade has actually become part of my toolkit now. I was on a trip out to the coast one time, stopped to visit a buddy uh, in Oliver, B.C., 
at his vineyard there and uh, hopped on the bike the next day. Didn't get very far, but far enough to get away from services, right? I kind of noticed that like my right leg is damp and I don't understand why. So I like look down and I just see something spraying from the front right side of the bike, which there's not many things down there. So like <laughs> immediately I'm like brakes. Oh no, thankfully it wasn't. But my fork seal had just got something I had ridden like two and a half hours on this road that was getting like through the mountains that was getting fixed and it was all just like choppy gravel and you know that like when they're building a road it's it's not even just gravel but it's like rutted like consistently like you're almost like a groomed ski hill but you're going cross tracks yeah i know what you're talking about like it's like like a washboard and it's non-stop for hours so i guess i had collected a bunch of dirt in there and something finally worked its way past the dust boot and into the fork seal and just held open a gap in that fork seal. So oh. I was rapidly losing fork, eel, fork, fork oil from the front right side. It was just spraying up onto me and down the bike. So I was trying to figure out, like, well, what do you do? I Obviously, I was, I was like, well, either the fork seal's blown and I'm fucked or it's just got something jammed in there. But how do you deal with that, right? So... I kind of thought about it, thought about it, and I had this bottle of Gatorade. Again, just chugged it down, cleaned it up, and cut like a little fish hook into the plastic and made like a flat surfaced fish hook that I could, I pulled the dust boot up, and you can squeeze that down um, between the fork tube and the fork seal, and the like the hook shape as you spin it around the fork tube will force all of the dirt up out of the seal. And so it dislodged whatever had built up in there, Cause like, there's no way I was getting to the next town. I would have lost, you know, all of my dampening in my front end by the time I got to the next town, it would have been a nightmare. So thankfully I was able to use that. And now I'm just like, even though I have what's called like a seal mate now or a seal buddy or something like that, it's a tool for that. I just, it's this thing now where I just almost always have a bottle of Gatorade with me for some reason. I'm just like, I have this tool for this, but I just want to have that bottle of Gatorade because it's saved me one time. Oh, for sure. So now it's just one of those things that takes up space that I don't need to use. But <laughs> but I had one one time and it got me out of trouble. Yeah, it's it's interesting what you come up with along the way. Like on the adventure bike, you know, you got bungees that snap or whatever. And, you know, especially with me having the space for luggage, if I'm going on a trip with people and they're on like a cruiser or something like that, I'm packing most of the stuff. So it's like you snap a bungee and you've got everything. So you're like just trying to tie things up and the new ways you come up with to, to strap everything down. You know, I've come up with a way now where I can actually strap everything down to the bike in one piece, like two people's worth of tent, sleeping bags, ground mats, like extra clothes and all of that, and strap it all down to the bike. And then I can just disconnect it from the bike in a certain way, leave it all connected together and then just use it as a backpack now. Just because oh. I've done it so many times that I'm like, it, I just came up with it this summer. I did a 10-day trip out to the coast. And just like every time you do it, you learn a new way and you learn a new way. And sometimes you do it and you're like, I'm going to try it this way. And then you're riding and something comes like loose and you've got a fucking sleeping bag hanging off the side of your bike, like catching wind. And you're like, whoa, you're getting wobbly. And you're like, what's going on back there? I got to try to stop. You're hoping it doesn't just go flying into the person behind you. But eventually you refine a system and you get it figured out. And there's something neat about like, I don't know, like motorcycles are kind of like the tenting of the adventure world, you know, like cars would be the motorhome, motorcycles, the tenting, because you're just in it. So you combine the two, you know, you're just out there in the wild and with the adventure bike, you can hit the trails and go to all these cool new places uh, until you realize that your bike's not a dirt bike and it's 500 pounds. 
And you're like, <laughs> I've been out in the bush. Uh, just recently had an experience where I went out with some buddies that were all on dirt bikes and we got into some pretty rugged trail. We were probably like an hour and a half into the bush. And we get all the way back through all this single track, get up to the top of this like beautiful valley, man. Like we're up top. I didn't even know it was there. None of us did. We're like ripping through, come out of the trees through this super tight single track onto this like just flat grassy area and this massive river valley, like just this huge canyon. And so we all park up there, uh, you know, set our helmets down or whatever. We're taking pictures and everything. And I set mine because I was on my road bike I set it on the seat Well, adventure bikes. I ride it on the road, but also off road with it. So normally if I'm parked somewhere, I can just set it on the seat. The seat's wide enough. But if I'm on my dirt bike, I'll either set it on the ground or hang it on the handlebar or something just because there's so much tippier and you're out in the wilderness and whatever. But just out of habit, I set my helmet on my seat. And again, we were up at the top of this massive Canyon. So we're all walking around and the wind picks up and it blows my helmet. I'm on my way to back to my bike to go grab my helmet to leave. And my buddy has taken a Snapchat video and panning across and he gets to me and I like step out of the way to try to get out of the way of his camera. And he got this hilarious video of me making this weird face, trying to get out of the way of the camera. And that was enough time to delay me that I didn't get back to the bike in time. The wind picked up, blew my helmet off of my bike, bounced like three or four times across the grass and into the Canyon. Oh, <laughs> brand new motorcycle helmet for one and also i'm an hour and a half into the bush on single track on a 500 pound bike with no helmet so of course crashed on the way back right i didn't crash on the way there at all when i had a helmet and then on the way back just riding going through like v ditches that are definitely more than wide enough for a dirt bike but not a big adventure bike with you know crash bars on the side and it narrowed out enough that it the crash bars just dug into the dirt on both sides and the bike just stopped and i just go out the front door over the bars and just go flying like i mean thankfully i'm here and didn't die or whatever but it was a interesting experience it's uh, definitely learned not to set my helmet on my seat anymore (laughs) oh jeez oh man still getting razzed about that one i'm pretty stoked um we both got like these really sort of wild and you know we're just barely tapping into some of the things that we could talk about in our own personal experience. So I'm pretty excited to embark down this podcast adventure, uh, the enlightened dirt bags. But, uh, one thing that I just sort of wanted to ask you and something that I was thinking about is like, and you already sort of touched on it a little bit, but like, what's something that you like plan on taking away? And like, I'll just sort of like quickly answer is one thing that I'm sort of like interested in. And it sounds kind of lame and kind of boring, but I'm like, what what is a motorcycle adventure like what's a motorcycle narrative right like what what does that make up because i think anyone even if they've never owned a motorcycle and have only really experienced motorcycles through pop culture or just like seen them on the street i think they can list off uh like any number of things like obviously you need to be on a motorcycle you probably need to go from point a to point b right and that sort of thing but i think once we get into books like zen in the yard even hell's angels by hunter s toms and and then I think probably with uh, Dreaming of Jupiter too, because it's uh, him uh, retracing a step. I think there's some nuance that even in my experience with motorcycles that I'm missing. And so I'm really looking to sort of uncover some of that sort of like narrative nu- nuance, right? Like what what is it about motorcycles that is wildly unique and not like anything else? And like what draws people back to it? And so... I think I'm going to find those answers in Dreaming Dreaming of Jupiter, but of course we got a lot of motorcycle books to read, so 
I think Dreaming of Jupiter is the one that's going to do that for you. I haven't read that one, but having read the one before uh, Jupiter's Travels, um, I noticed uh, a reoccurring theme in all of these different, you know, solo motorcycle adventure books. And it's always the breaking point in every single one of these, like circumnavigating the globe on a motorcycle books that I've read. It's in the beginning. They're like, this is so awesome. You know, you're riding through your hometown on your, as you're leaving and everyone's like, you're going to do this trip and you're riding this wave of, of excitement and everything. And, you know, you get out, a couple days in and then as soon as you leave your country and that dopamine rush is gone and now it's like the reality sets in that you're this is a huge thing you know and a lot of people are young when they do this for the first time because it's kind of a young man's game it's a serious thing to do and there's always a breaking point at some point whether you know literally the motorcycle breaks down or ted simon in in the first book ends up in prison for like two weeks and they won't really tell them what's happening or anything like that. Or they're just every single book has a point where somebody's like, did I go too far with this? Is this too much for me? So it's, I, th- I think that the fact that it's on a motorcycle is, is the draw for me, but it's the same as, you know, what was that, uh, that book into the wild, the kid that goes on that hiking adventure up North and ends up dying or like climbing Everest, any of these things that people go on, it's like a, a personal spirit quest almost you challenge yourself with something so crazy that you're just going to get out and do it and see if you can and every single time it seems like there's this point where even like in my smaller adventures i've hit times where i'm like why do i do this you know (laughs) i've been riding for 13 hours today trying to get home i'm like running from a hailstorm, hoping i don't get caught up in the middle of it and have to sleep under a overpass tonight kind of thing or whatever there's there's this challenge you've really put yourself, you've exposed yourself to the elements and into a new world. And you're, you know, you're responsible for yourself. You're responsible for the bike. You, you have to have the right amount of gear, but not too much gear. And you, you have to be prepared for the terrain. And if you're, if you're leaving your culture, you have to be, or your country, you have to be prepared for the culture. There's something about it. That's so overwhelming because you're so exposed to so many things. And there's always a point where they question it. You know, and uh, and that's my favorite part, because like, you know, you make you know, they make it because that's otherwise the book wouldn't be there. But, uh, you know, there was I wish I could remember his name. There was a fellow that did it, a German fellow that did it on a BMW. And he's at one point he breaks down in Afghanistan and he's like 40 minutes away from this town where a couple of weeks ago, a journalist was just kidnapped and murdered. You know, like it's wild experiences where people are really questioning, why did I do this? But every single time at the end of the book, they're always like, that was the best part of my life. I challenged myself to do this and I made it. So motorcycles are the method of transportation, but I think it's just the spirit of adventure and that personal challenge. And it's just for us, motorcycles, the way we would do that. You know, we've been rocking and rolling for a little bit. You want to wrap up this uh, preface episode? Yeah, for sure. It's also just occurring to me that, uh, we never gave our names. No, (laughs) that's true. Uh, well, I'll likely be referred to as version two for most of the podcast. That's a nickname from many years ago. But if you need to reach me, I am the Enlightened Dirtbag, just enlightened underscore dirtbag on Instagram. That'd be the best way to go. My name is Jonah Condro. Uh, first name, last name at Instagram. Episode one in the books. Looking forward to uh, all the chapters of this adventure. 